Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We managed to get uh, Chris Yelland on the line. Chris is an, an energy analyst and managing director of EE Intelligence. Chris, a very good afternoon to you and thank you so much for making the time to join us at such short notice. It's a pleasure. Thank you and good afternoon to your listeners. Again, Chris, thanks so much. So uh, we are looking at uh, the possibility of a grid collapse. Now, there's so much speculation going on, so much news we're inundated with about, you know, the ESCOM saga. It's here and there. Everyone's saying this. Everyone is saying that. Investigations are going on. We're having power outages, power blackouts. I can stand, put my hand up here and say I'm one of the victims of this. You, what, everyone, I, I just guess everybody's now like in a quandary and wondering what is happening to our energy situation. So I'll, my kickoff question to you is, are we are we facing or are we heading for a grid collapse? Um, look, one has to look at uh, the question of risk. What is the risk mm-hmm. uh, of a national blackout? And um, right. in so doing, one has to understand what do we mean by risk? Okay. And risk, in my mind, has two components. Mm-hmm. The first is the probability of an event, and the second is the consequences of the event. And one cannot look at risk in isolation without looking at both of these two components of risk. So one may have a very low probability event, such as a national blackout, Mm -hmm. but the consequences of that national blackout are so high that it kind of overwhelms the low probability and makes the combination a high risk. So high indeed Mm -hmm. that insurance companies who are in the risk business, they are in the business of covering financial risk. They have decided that the risk is too high for them to insure. And they, you have noticed recently a number of insurance companies coming out and saying that they no longer will cover the risk Indeed. of a national blackout. Now, that does not mean that the event has a high probability. What it really means is that the consequences of that event are so high that even though it is a low probability, they don't want to take the risk. And they leave it then to the individuals, the businesses, taxpayers, mm-hmm. and ultimately government to bear that risk instead because the risk is too high for them. So, to answer that question, is there a risk of a national blackout? Yes, there is. A high risk in the sense that insurance companies don't want to insure it and, uh, and far-sighted people like ESCOM, uh, you know, put in place, uh, significant planning. First of all, on how to avoid a national blackout. And second of all, if it happens, uh, how to recover from it. So they have detailed plans in place. Uh, to deal with this risk. Uh, and again, I must stress that that does not mean that there's a high probability. In fact, there's a very low probability event. But in such cases, you certainly do have to plan even for low probability events because of the high consequences. Chris, um, okay, so someone listening to how you've just summed up the situation, I guess we still need, we still want to know, need to know, uh, what level are we at uh, right now? Where do we find ourselves right now? I mean, we, let's look at it in layman's terms. What can we brace for? 
Well, so they say. So they say. Right. <laughs> There's a bit of a However, area because we're in stage six load shedding, but stage four load curtailment, which means that it's something somewhat higher than stage six. Uh, this is where it starts getting a bit technical, and there's a lot of obfuscation uh, mm-hmm. by Eskim, who uh, don't like to um, disclose quite how serious things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the situation is very serious in terms of the mismatch between supply and demand. Right. Now, one's got to ask the question, does this mean the risk of load shedding is increasing now? Mm-hmm. And this is where it starts getting interesting. Right. Because... I would suggest to you that right, you know, the risk of load shedding now is lower than it was. Sorry, the risk of a national blackout now is lower than it was in 2007, 2008 when we had our first load shedding. Now, let me try and explain this. Okay. People think that's all oh, in stage six load shedding, uh, the risk must be higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point of the matter is in 2007, before the load shedding started, we had absolutely no serious plans in place to deal with this mismatch between supply and demand. Right. Nor did we have the necessary protocols in place for load shedding and the schedules with the municipalities. Nor did we have Eskimos plans to avoid a national blackout and nor their plans on how to recover from it. And as a result of those load shedding all those years ago and the continuous mismatch between supply and demand that we've had since then, the ESCAM has been put in place all these detailed plans and has become very skilled at load shedding, very practiced. They do it every single day, and they know how to do it, and the municipalities know how to do it. They've got all their plans in place, and they're well practiced. So in that respect, the balancing of supply and demand now we're in a far better position to do it now than we were in 2007. Chris, sorry, can I cut you short there? If you don't mind holding on, we actually just want to cross to Fumida very quickly to just give us a quick news update. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, uh, you're on the Afternoon Overdrive. I'm Michael McKenna. Joining us on the line is Chris Yelland, Energy Analyst Managing Director of EE Intelligence. Chris, thank you for holding on. Uh, if we can just uh, continue from where you left off about uh, we were contrasting plans that weren't in place before until now, what ESCOM are striving yeah. to or endeavoring uh, to do yeah. to try and alleviate the situation. So what I was saying is that the risk of, I would contend that the risk of a national blackout now is lower than it was in 2007 when we didn't have the necessary plans in place and nor were we practiced at load shedding. Mm -hmm. The very fact that we have, let's say, stage four load shedding for an extended period or stage six load shedding for an extended period means that by pulling the right levers, Eskom has brought supply and demand back into balance. So the situation, even though we're at stage six now, the situation between supply and demand is in balance. And there is then no further risk of a national blackout in the system in balance. The risk of a national blackout occurs when there is a massive and sudden Indeed. mismatch between supply and demand. And right. the levers that Eskom have got to pull are not quick enough or do not work 
in order to bring supply and demand back into balance, then you can have a national blackout. Okay, so Chris, as we approach winter now, or oh, yes. you could say, you could well say that we are well into uh, winter, uh, yes. I can vouch for, well, as an example, uh, there's an issue of many substations which are going yes. down. Many oh, breakers, it, it has to do with the breaker issue and what have you, because yeah. of consistent load shedding. Yes. So all of these factors compounded with the demand during the winter season. Can you, can you, uh, what, what can you foresee here? Well, look, I want to just point out that historically, if we look back in the last few years, the worst load shedding has not occurred in winter months. Just remember in 2019 when we first had stage six load shedding. That took place in December, in the summer months. And we also then was, that was followed by some severe load shedding in, in January, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, in, in early part of, of the next year. Right. The point I want to make is that yes, demand for electricity is higher in winter, mm-hmm. but so is the supply of electricity higher in winter because Eskom do less maintenance in winter. Right. And they've done their maintenance in the summer months. So that the generators are now have a higher level of availability in the winter months, uh, and so uh, supply demand is increased, and so is supply. And if you look at the energy availability factor graphs that I publish weekly, you'll see that they follow a parabolic pattern where the energy availability, the availability of Eskom's generators, increases in winter because they do less maintenance and because they are better prepared by having done their maintenance in summer. So. Historically, the winter months have not been the months of highest load shedding. Now, okay. I'm not saying that that is going to be the case this winter. Right. We'll we have to wait and see. Indeed. It all depends on the level of unplanned breakdowns. And by their very nature, unplanned breakdowns are not planned. They're not foreseen. They're not envisaged. They take us by surprise. Sure. And it can happen that a number of units trip out simultaneously, or shall I say, in a short period of time that suddenly plunges the country from a situation of, let's say, stage four load shedding up to stage six and higher. So I'm not trying to predict the future here. Indeed, I'm just Chris. telling you, historically, right. winter months have not been the highest months of load shedding. Okay, well, uh, let's just hope uh, that won't be uh, the case. As you say, we cannot predict, uh, but certainly given what we are going through at the moment, with all this uncertainty, we certainly hope that uh, we can at least look forward, especially during a time of, of winter demand, you know, mm. into a more comfortable, shall we say, uh, shall we, uh, supply of power. Let's just see. Well, anyway, uh, Chris, uh, you've, pre- pre- you've previously suggested a solution. I'm not going to keep you too long. <laughs> previously suggested a solution. To the load shedding, would that solution still apply to these critical stages of load shedding? Yeah, so let me say that there's a lot of talk about solutions. And mm-hmm. There are short-term solutions, medium-term solutions, long-term solutions. We need to work on the, the short, medium, and long-term solutions now. Because if we right. don't work on the short, the medium, and the longer-term options now, we don't start working on it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have them ready in two to three years' time. So we have to do a lot of things at the same time. But the medium and long-term solutions are not going to help us this winter and nor next year or nor the year after. Right. That's where the medium and longer-term solutions come in. So if we are looking at the short-term solutions between now and the next two years, we need to turn our mind to the private sector and the massive rollout of solar PV and battery storage systems in the domestic, commercial, manufacturing, industrial Systems and also the agricultural systems. Right. But big systems like in the mining world and, the, and large 
uh, energy intensive users and the public procurement, they take too long. They, 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 we mustn't, uh, we do need to do that, but they're not going to deliver quick solutions. We do need to start working on them now mm-hmm. so that they will be ready in three years' time. But what can we do now? We can install rooftop solar PV right. and battery storage at the domestic, commercial, and, uh, and, and agricultural sectors in a massive way. And to do that, you need huge incentivization, aggressive incentivization. It seems uh, that would seem the case, won't it, Chris? Chris, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, thank you so much once again for making the time to join us and uh, just to shed some light. Well, you certainly shed a different perspective on the issue about uh, the current uh, energy crisis and situation that we are facing at the moment. Uh, Chris Yelland, Energy Analyst, Managing Director of EE Intelligence.